Hi, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Social Yet Distance podcast, and tonight we're doing a special event with Elise Versella, who has been a buddy of mine for quite some time, and uh, I really loved her work, and I watched it progress and go through lots of changes and growth, and um, it's just an exciting story, and I'd, I'd love for you guys to all have the opportunity to hear some of her work tonight. So we're going to talk about old work, new work, and uh and future plans so elise welcome how are you my friend hi friend good to see you i'm well how have you been i'm i'm rock and roll and life is good so um we'll uh we'll just take it as it comes today um let's talk you know i was talking i guess where today is coming from for me um I went back, I like to go back and do a little research and I kind of thought I had my my uh, ducks in a row as far as what had been going on with you since the last time we were together uh, on the When Wolves Get Wings um, uh, book. And so the one thing that I noticed is your work's been ongoing and prolific. It has been um, going through some changes in its tone and its voice. And there's a lot more um, Elise out there in the public um, and on stages and things like that. And that's really exciting news. And so if you'd like to talk a little bit about how that has kind of um, come together for you, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Absolutely. Oh, man. So like currently right now, there's what we like to call a New Jersey poetry renaissance happening. Um, there's so many open mics like every day of the week happening from South Jersey to Central Jersey to North Jersey. And it's an, been an incredible thing to see crop up and just bloom and expand. Um, and even like as far out West into Pennsylvania, there have been open mics in New York and it's just been really cool to kind of spread my wings out, so to speak, and just meet new uh, people, other poets, actually been like very fun and enjoyable and just this sense of community like I, I actually feel it now I feel part of something do you do you think that um you know we were all kind of forced with with COVID and whatnot we were forced into new arenas like Zoom for example um where we did online readings and other events and things and and fostered that community throughout that period and I think made it a much, much stronger community. Um, 100%. I, I, I wonder though, I, because of where I sit, I, I think that that kind of thing needs to go, continue. Um, yeah. And that's my endeavor. Your endeavor as a performance poet is one to get out there and have that connection and that um, energy flow between you and the audience. And I, you know, as an outsider sitting out and watching that, I sense that, you, you know, that there's fuel from that and there's fire that you take from that. And that translates into new, um, not necessarily new ways, but new avenues and new thoughts that create a different type of writing, um, not necessarily in style, but just in, in subject. And I wonder if that, I mean, obviously the energy is what it is. I just wonder how that energy rewards you versus 
your progression up to where we are now? I think, well, first, I do want to say that I think the Zoom open mics should absolutely continue because, again, the kinds of people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. I mean, I've met people in other states that I haven't been able to travel to. I've met people in other countries that I haven't gotten to fly out to yet. And it's that is incredible and insane. And that's the greatest power of technology right there. And I think that is the most important bit of it, I think, to perform something that you've written to people who understand it in a way that maybe mm -hmm. the general public doesn't. I mean, the people who are signing up for Zoom poetry open mics and who are going to open mic shows, I mean, yes, some of them don't write or read their own poetry, but, you know, they, the people who, normally go to them understand things differently than mm -hmm. I think the general public so it, it feels gratifying just to be understood to you know recite something that you know you're, you've written to try and process something that you're feeling um, and then have it absorbed and taken in you're kind of like held by strangers essentially but it doesn't feel like strangers really that connection, I think, can be garnered across a Zoom screen or in person. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and at least for me personally, because I have not lived the experience of, of an environment that, that, let's just say I was not into writing and poetry the way I am now where I took advantage of that community where I lived most mm -hmm. of my life. Um, it was a vibrant community. I just didn't check into it. You know, it just wasn't my thing at that point. Um, so I missed out on a lot. So I'm, I'm still filling the gap with the Zoom stuff. And the fact that I can, you know, get on basically the phone with a room full of people in England and watch you know, my friend get a, a poetry prize from the United, from the UK government, you know, is pretty freaking amazing to me. It really you is. Know? And, and um, for whatever damage it might have to my own ego and my own writing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my, my point stands. I mean, the whole purpose of social yet distanced is we are social yet distanced okay it wasn't it came up at the time of covid but it is an everlasting phrase because we are social and we are distance and that's just the way it is so let's make sure that i get exposed to your words you get exposed to mine and vice versa and i don't care if you're in ireland or england or africa or wherever you are you know california new york Georgia, wherever, it doesn't matter. It's uh, basically a phone call with a bunch of moving faces and audio. And it's the Jetsons we all watched as kids, you know? Yes, <laughs> Rosie. <laughs> Jetsons do poetry, right? <laughs> so I, I'm more curious about the, 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 the charge from being in front of the crowd though. See, I have a memory of that from fifth grade when I was uh, a, 
a, a virtual Romeo in, in my class, fifth grade class, um, you know, plays and whatnot, um, because the teacher liked me. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but that was my only exposure to that kind of glory. So tell me more about that and your traveling and where you've been and what's, what that's all about besides yeah. group. I mean, I know, I know who's involved and I'm glad you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ch I mean, I guess it depends on the night and the, the venue, the crowd that night. Um, Cause it is incredibly terrifying still to get up in front of essentially strangers and recite some like really deep shit um, to people and hope they like it. You know, you're always like in fear of like, maybe this just doesn't hit, you know, and they really don't like it. You don't hear like any kind of like cast or like, ooh, or any kind of snaps on certain lines. Like that is such a horror um, that I, I haven't really had happen yet, knock wood. Um, <laughs> but you do get up there. I don't like to talk to anyone really like before I'm supposed to get up and perform. Like I start to sweat. <laughs> I do the performance. I don't even make eye contact with the crowd sometimes. And I know that's terrible. Like when you have gone to school and they tell you about like public speaking, you got to make right. eye contact. So I've gone and just like looked above people's heads. So like, I'm not actually looking at you. I'm just looking above you. Um, or I don't have my glasses on ever, so I can't actually see you, <laughs> which helps me perform like the performance anxiety. May not <laughs> be good for reading. Blurry. But... <laughs> I can see like in front of me. I just can't see distance. <laughs> um, but usually afterwards, it's this really great. I don't know how to actually describe the feeling, but you are like supercharged up. It's like you got well, struck by like having done copious sense. amounts of cocaine in the 80s. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I guess it feels like into that. <laughs> it's like you had it, a, it is what espresso. we call a rush. It's a rush. It, it is nothing more than adrenaline <laughs> hits your system and you go, wow. Really quickly. And like it takes takes me quite a while to like come down off that essential high. Elise, you've got to leave the stage now. <laughs> I am really, really, I find that super annoying sometimes, like when people take <laughs> up too much time. So I, bear, I try very hard to sit. I'll ask a host, like, you know, they always give you like a time frame and I'm like, okay, but like how many poems do you want? Because I'm usually trying to figure out how long, like how many minutes a poem of mine is, maybe like two or three. I'm always like, I'm not going to run over time. I, I'm too nervous to be up here that long anyway. <laughs> and I, you know, you want people to want more, but not ever feel like you oh read God, off your phone yet. and you read off paper. I if I have like new stuff I've read off my phone before it's kind of easier sometimes especially especially now that I have multiple books that's yeah. a really cool thing to say I have multiple books so sometimes it's hard and awkward and kind of clunky I can't carry around that much paper yeah like <laughs> it 
you know, kind of just being able to scroll through everything on the phone is very easy. I'm um, looking for, I, I've got an app and I, I think I took it off my phone, but I'll, um, a teleprompter, but you can set the time on it. So if you know you got three minutes, you it'll take what you give it in the script and time it for three minutes. Oh, that's smart. I just like generally round up how how long I think my poems yeah. are. Yeah, it's a great tool. I've never used it once, not once. <laughs> I'm probably like selling myself short, like giving myself like I could do like maybe another poem. I, I think I think that within boundaries, I think that as a rule, we're not real formalists on, on rules and regulations. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of give and take as long as you're respectful. You know, I don't think yeah. anybody's counting seconds. No. <laughs> Luckily, I've never been in a room where it's like, okay. You get ejected the through stage. the ceiling <laughs> at three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is your time and that is it. <laughs> I've had some people um, say that before the event, um, but that's a different story. Yeah. So so let's hear some poetry. Good God, I could talk all day. You know that. Okay. Um, so let's let's hear some poetry. Tell us what you're going to read and where it's from. Um, shall we start with like the very first book ever? <laughs> you know, that was kind of my idea is we'll just walk yeah. through the progression, but I'll let you choose the patterns or however you'd like to do that let's reminisce um my first ever book that i i self-published this one right out of high school um five foot voice um because i am five foot nothing <laughs> um i have now taken on the moniker of the five foot poet um, yeah. you also always have to adjust the mic stand for me um, one day I'll figure out how to do it myself, but until then, thank you to everyone who's ever adjusted a mic for me. Yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> I know, I know. Some mic stands are different, okay? They're not all created equal. It's the, uh, there's more to it. It's not about the mic stand. It's about, I'm a performance poet. Could you please take care of my light work? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm is, diva practicing. That's what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> sure. Um, but this poem I do really enjoy. Um, I was very much inspired by Walt Whitman back in the day. Um, so this poem is called From Decay. The evergreen grass holds a deceased soul, one that has fluttered off the depths unknown, and still the grass grass is crisp and soft and I can still run barefoot in it. The ocean holds gallons of blood thrown overboard by the ships on the seas, but still I swim through the rivers and lakes and the blood does not drown me. This earth's soil has been rotted, yet still I sustain my hunger with the fruit that blooms from it. Nice, nice, nice. Hey, you know, as um straight out of the great straight out of the gate um there's some power behind those words i mean you know that doesn't sound like somebody who just got out of high school that sounds like somebody who studied poetry a long time so that's a good thing did you have can... that inspired that or yes or, yeah 
Yes, absolutely. My creative writing teacher, I, creative writing was an elective in my high school. And I kind of feel like it should just be mandatory. That should be like an English supplement to um, the curriculum, honestly. My creative writing teacher though, uh, Marianne Jessup, um, she's the one who really, she looked at my work and she said, you should really pursue this. Like you've got something here. And she pointed me in the direction of like local contests um, with like the community college. Mm. And really all of my English teachers did. They gave me so many avenues to go down and explore how to make something of my writing. So mm. I'm forever indebted. I wouldn't be here without my English teachers and Mrs. Jessup. Yeah, there are those who've made a difference. And, um, um, you know, I've, I've got a Virginia uh, Burke in my history. You know, she encouraged the artistic side of things. And, and they were always a lot wiser than I knew as well because the ones that made a difference were the ones that were actually in tune with what was going on in my world. And so they were looking to help me with something they saw in me. And so that's what I think made it so special is they, they went out of their way to find that hole in me that needed to be filled and, and showed me I can do it. Yeah. And you can't, you can't put a price tag on that ever. No, absolutely. Because uh, many other areas I should have fallen through many cracks <laughs> you know and I forced myself into many and um, it was people like that that kept me afloat even yeah, they though show I, you what's possible yeah absolutely and the hope they inspired at that young an age was the luminary for a long time it, I mean it to this day it shines in my memory as the most, you know, one of the most formative periods of my life, but it was, it's always shined as like, wow, I could do that. I, I remember I could do that then and I can do it now. Yep. And, and that same inspiration still gets me today. And that's, that's the cool shit. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. So I bet you wrote a poem about that, didn't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh probably somewhere in in these many volumes I feel like most of the poetry I've written over the years has been um drawing from that boost of confidence and courage or at least trying to make sure that I'm always finding it again if I feel that I've lost it do you when I start to feel that, I feel inclined to look outside myself because I'm keenly aware for whatever reason that if I throw all of my focus on me, I get lost sometimes in what the reality of it all is. So when I start feeling depressed or whatnot and it, or, you know, blocked from being able to write or whatever kind of bullshit I come up with, um, I, I look around and I say, okay, you know, here's a poem that somebody's 
like Elise one day, a long time ago, I read a piece and I said, wow, that made a difference. You know, I need to find out more about this person, you know, and, and, and I rely on that a lot. Um, I wonder if it's the same for you, if, because it's the inspiration that I see and it's, and that inspiration is it, mo it motivates me to want to do what I've chosen my craft to, to be. Yeah, I write. Yeah, I do art. Yeah, I do this, that, that. But I, I have a business mind as well. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, have some ideas about how to monetize this and monetize that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. None of it's proven true, but the words are true, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, you know, I know what's important and what's not. And I think, I wonder how important that is to you or how important that was to you growing up. Because just because I could put words together didn't really necessarily make a difference. It just gave me a free escape. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think growing up, I did seek out fiction for music I think definitely music because rock music I was definitely the angsty um 13 14 year old listening to like audio slave <laughs> and right, just like right. feeling my feelings when right. like I didn't know how to express what I was feeling at the time um and then yeah my best friend we're still friends to this day um we met over poetry and art she would like illustrate my for like my angsty little poems <laughs> and um I mean like Francesca Lea Block is an author and also teacher who's inspired me and whose work I go to mm. or who like helped me in adolescence just growing up like and being a girl in this society like her works actually helped raise me in a sense you know when you feel like that lonely child who doesn't know how to say what they're feeling like I turn to books like well this is what I'm feeling this character I relate to right yeah I think that's um that's pretty darn cool I mean you know that's the way it's supposed to be and I'm, I'm glad to know that that really does exist you know, because I live in a world sometimes, even though I don't necessarily want to, where it's full of stupid little poetry wars and this zine versus that zine and so-and-so is doing this to so-and-so. And it's like, my God, man, just make it about the words and sharing the words and, you know, what are you fighting over? Ain't nobody making money. I know it's like I still have a day job man <laughs> it should just be about the art because you do it because it makes you feel good right right and then maybe in you know in the mix of all that it makes someone else feel good and then boom you've like related to another person well it, it's a core problem it. you know it's the same old human condition bullshit I, I get much more out of my life when I'm focused on what I can put into it versus what I can get out of it. You right. know, if I'm trying to get something out of it, I'm going to step on toes. I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to be an asshole. I'm going to break rules. I'm going to, you know, do all the stuff I always did. 
and it never works. So why do I want to repeat that and just have angst and animosity all around me when I have a say so about that? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't need to go on TikTok and rant about some poet who pissed me off. I know. Or, you could just write a poem about it. Yeah. Or, you know, write a poem about it or, you know, tell us you wrote a poem about it or whatever, you know. Like, let the art speak. It's the same old thing, like, okay, well, let's rail on Bukowski. Okay, rail on Bukowski. So what? Now you're going to rave about Bukowski. Okay, rave about Bukowski. So what? Their opinions, man. (laughs) Exactly. It's all relative. Like, people either like someone or they don't like someone. I'm sure there are people who don't really connect with what I write either. And it's like, they're allowed to not like it you know like people will find what they're drawn to and that's what they they like and oh, no one I've should been be a, like I've been scared of the Elise Versella hit squad all this time for no reason <laughs> <Why>? yeah absolutely <laughs> for no reason there is no hit squad it's not like you must like my work hey no literally we know I'm where your sister goes to school <laughs> it'd be it'd be out I'd hate for her not to have her book in a book bag it's literally it's literally so dumb you know there are like hundreds and thousands of books published within a year every year and it's like if someone finds my measly little book amongst the sea of books and they like it that's great if they don't they hopefully they find something else that's all miracle is they found the freaking book (laughs) that is it even if you just found a poem you didn't have to get the whole book maybe just be like the one poem that's it Whatever, yeah snap a picture in the freaking line at barnes and noble who cares (laughs) well all right so time for more poetry let's hear something uh closer to new okay closer to new i definitely want to hear some of the wolves book and i definitely want to hear some of anything new you got coming but I want you to pick what you want to play, deal with next. So, all right. Well, we won't hit you with brand new just yet, but closest to new. And speaking of, I guess, like the fave poem, I've been told this is a fan favorite and I do really enjoy performing it. So I will read um, From When Wolves Become Birds. This is, uh, this came out two years ago now. Uh, This is called, I know two years has gone by really fast. This is called, I will edit manuscripts, but I will not edit myself. (laughs) I do not wish for snapshots. I want the whole damn panorama, the extended cut, the unedited scroll you let roll forth from the typewriter like a carpet you did not have pulled out from under you. And I want the dust you swept under that carpet when your mother wasn't looking, when you grew tired of the nagging. After you unpacked all the boxes of your body, you kept closed up, taped shut, because you've been so afraid to unpack your baggage and buy furniture with sturdy legs, legs that would dent the carpet, legs that might scratch that hardwood if you don't first lay down some velvet to buffer it. I say refuse all buffers, like bowling without bumpers, like sometimes I don't care if my ball lies in the gutter, scream guttural. If today you crack the mirror and did not like the imperfect reflection, scream if it makes you feel better, because hawks don't consider the eardrums of earthworms. They scream because they are flying high and they are hunting. 
They are taking all that opportunity has laid before them because God gave them cause. So do not retract yours. We have deemed declining inhumane. So what if you scratch a little? If you sting a little, the blood reminds the spineless, you are still here. Yes, ma'am. I love that poem. There was another one in that book, too, that I really liked. I was looking. I thought I saw it on your website today. I was trying to look it up, but I don't remember. Which was it a girl's whole life could be found in her purse? <laughs> that was one of them I liked for sure. I do recall you liking that one, which yeah. I, I enjoyed that that one struck you. I don't remember if that was it or not. I don't think it was. But anyway, read what you like. I like them all. So, <laughs> Shall we do another from Wolves? Sure, might as well. All right. Or should we hop right into the newest? Um, that, what, it's your call, whatever you want to do. And so everybody knows, and so you know, um, I'm going to include links for all of the books in the description on youtube that'll appear like magic sometime in the next 48 hours <laughs> all right we'll do one more from wolves and uh, this is called a girl's whole life can be found in her purse she empties her purse like the galaxy empties its milky way over the desert the contents spill out like the hopeful prayers of teen girls who still believe god travels via shooting star she empties her purse and tosses the Revlon red in the trash because that's how he made her feel when she wore it. Her mouth a pretty stain like the stain on the carpet. Why did we ever wear blue white eyeshadow? Like somehow it made us more adult to wear such unflattering makeup. What's this infatuation with girls and their makeup? She throws that too in the trash and mumbles fuck it as if the absence of color on her face would stop them from staring it doesn't. She cuts the credit card in half, the one she charged for the cab to take her home, the one with higher limits than the levels of booze in his blood. My mother always told me to keep extra money for a ride, like God forbid anyone act dignified before trying to get between our thighs. The plastic cracks like the makeup she slept in. I should invest in waterproof mascara because it always runs when I cry. Men name their car, so I named my purse. I call her Priscilla. Not like his wife, more like queen of the desert. She empties her purse that keeps the license, not merely a privilege awarded, but more like that freedom we sought. We keep trying to fill ourselves up like we are not already enough. I think I'll just keep on driving, ride these roads into the desert and find something altogether different to fill the contents of my purse with. She didn't want to be queen of just the desert. She wanted to be queen of herself. You can tell a lot about a girl by what she keeps in her purse. It's like we keep our whole life there to carry it close. And it weighs some of us down like a burden or a purse. No wonder she dumped it all out. She'd rather carry the universe in her heart where it counts. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Having, having dug around in many purses. <laughs> <laughs> I just the, the only thing that I think you left out was for, and I, it's because I'm older than you. Um, bubble gum lip gloss needs to be in, included. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a little bit before my time. I think we all stopped using the bubblegum bubble lip gloss, but there was definitely yeah. a lot of Bondell lip gloss. So. Yeah, it was, it was, I think they were the same company. It was just whatever <laughs> flavor they you it was a flavor of the week. Um, my particular memory is bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, a girl that you would swear, at least, or I would have, was Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> she had the waves. I was, yeah, it wasn't the waves I was that concerned about at that point. But <laughs> <laughs> it's how much could she drink? <laughs> oh, man. I was, I was one of those guys that... Your mom told you to make Word sure us about money. yeah. <laughs> make sure you have money for a ride home. Oh dear. Not because I was nefarious, but because I was too drunk to drive usually. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank God for Ubers now. <laughs> really? Um yeah, I you know, I really like that book a lot. And there's um it feels like there, there's a direct line between the assumption would be you and the and the stories that are revealed in the poems. Um, whether that's true or not is not really the question. It's just there's a direct line there. It's like these are lived experiences. They're not contrived ones. Right. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. They they definitely are more rooted in my actual experience where the first three self-published weren't so much um, taken from my personal life, more so things that I watched and consumed and then wrote about. But When Wolves Become Birds was definitely me going through it. And right. it's, it's a grieving of the self and trying to find my way back. So in, in that process, did we birth another book? We did birth another book because then we were in the height of a pandemic and a lot of um, violence um, in the summer of 2020. And again, I feel like a process of grieving had to happen. Um, and I think, to be honest, this book still doesn't feel complete in a sense because the things that I've written about in this new chapbook, we are still experiencing um, the gun violence, the police brutality. Um, we overturned Roe v. Wade after this book came out and it just feels like I needed a way to make sense. Again, poetry was what I've always used to make sense of my world, the world I live in. And so these poems came about me feeling lost and, and weary in this society that I, I've now found myself in as like a soon to be 33 year old woman. And how do I, how do I process this? How do I make sense of this? How do I wake up every morning and still continue? And so I wrote a psalm for the weary. I felt that hopefully these poems work as a way to show us that there's still some glimmer, some small fraction of hope that um, we could still move 
forward you know like you ask yourself what is the point of anything these days and i find a poem and i think this this is still the point like this is going to keep me going this is how i stay afloat that is um i'd say the perfect answer i mean it's exactly what i would have expected i i you know the other side of the coin is, I mean, you you go through these growth spurts, for lack of a better term, and you think that you've come to some sort of revelation or at least resolution. And then you wake up the next day and it's all been an illusion and all the same bad shit still happening. Yeah. And there's more people rallying it on. <laughs> and have fallen victim to the lies and the trap and that's the scary part to me so yeah. to to go through the healing and get to a point where you feel like you can feel a little bit safe and get a little bit of control back they snatch that away as well is is often the way i interpret it and that's kind of what i heard you saying as well is it's like yeah, you finally get to the carpet and then you find out that it's poison and then they snatch it out from under you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah, let's let's hear about that because I I really am a little bit intrigued. Okay. <laughs> uh this is called Tell us the, show us the oh, book. Tell us oh about yes. <laughs> this is a song for the weary. It is out now. <laughs> it is beautiful too. Thank you. Um, the cover artist, Leah Lumiere, did the artwork. It's phenomenal. Completely blew it out of the park. Cool. Yeah, this is called Sestina for the Right to Life. Silence equals death. I see the refugees stitching close their lips. The image becomes protest. Stitch means the last bit of a thing. It also means bring together, like how the Egyptians believed they'd be in an afterlife. But first, against the feather, the heart must be weighed. How would your heart weather if it were to be weighed? Isn't it enough that we will grow old and ill and meet death? Shouldn't we love madly and sing loudly, fully embracing life? If no one listens to what drips from our lips, what good is the mouth for? What would the tongue bring? Once the soul passes on, the body remains the vessel of protest. We stand defenseless in protests, rubber bullets and tear gas, the trampling of bodies, how heavy hypocrisy weighs. Cops and their blue duty to serve and protect, who are they protecting? When those cops bring in a black man or woman, they meet their death. No death for the white shooters, with their smug, privileged lips, who deserves this pursuit of happiness, this liberty, their life. The huddled masses are fighting for their lives. Hospital beds scream against mass graves in protest. Forgotten prayers tumble from lapsed Catholic lips. No stars pull at our hair, only crows pulling at our bones. It's all so heavy, this march towards death. When he comes with what would he bring? Death comes for all of us, but no one appreciates the gift he brings. Reminder of our mortality, bittersweet brevity of life. There's so much to be learned from death. How to be like the blaze of sun that protests dust. When the legs that keep you treading grow heavy in empty waters watch. 
how the humpback whale returns to the Hudson, hope on his lips. There is so much still to snip the stitches through lips. A woman stands triumphant above this city, begging you to bring her your dreams. Though the sorrows endured have made the bag heavy, there is still so much burgeoning life. The roots claw through the sidewalk in protest. The seedling persists, silently objecting to its death. We will keep objecting to the death oppression brings. Every kiss we throw away from cracked, chapped lips pleading for life, smile in protest. The muscles fighting against the aching jaw and the heaviness. I like that a lot. I was just writing down, seething persists silently. That's genius right there. I really like that piece a lot. Thank you. I'm still kind of blown away that I wrote it because it's a form, just the Sestina, and I don't normally write in form. Uh, so I'm quite grateful to Meg Eden because it's her poetry class that taught us the form. I don't think I would have written it without her. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not big on things like punctuation capitalization form you know one long sentence lots of accent lots of uh uh what do they call the it ellip the ellipses, ellipses. Right? yeah i'm an ellipsis heavy and big time and i i often play with the fact that you can use three or five uh, <laughs> you can use five <laughs> <laughs> yeah you didn't know that did you <laughs> this is news to me and guess what i'm gonna be doing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah lots of paragraphs explaining what i just said <laughs> i love it <laughs> all right uh, paragraphs parentheses that's what that was called yeah yeah that's um that's you were tapped into some really controlled angst, I think, when you wrote that. Oh, yes, I was. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was, there was a lot. And but it was I, over and above the fact you had to learn a Sestina. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, and I must say, I have been reading a lot more nonfiction lately, um, but Olivia Lang is one of my new favorite authors right now. And her book, um, funny weather art in an emergency had come out during 2020 2021 mm -hmm. um, and she had I was reading one of the essays in the book and she was talking about the um, Syrian refugee crisis and there was an image she had come across of refugees that had stitched closed their lips in protest and so I had read that essay while I was taking Meg Eden's class and trying to figure out this Sestina. And you, you know, each line has to end with the same word. So I was trying to think of easy words to end sentences with. And I think the, the stitching closed of lips it, and protest. It's like, I think we're on to something here now. And yeah, so I big just, time. that sent me flying. That's, um... That's very interesting because that's exactly how it works. And, you know, writing about protest and writing in protest and writing about 
censorship and those type in politics and history and whatever. It's it's an overeducated way of writing for me, just because I don't have the educational background, the academic background to know and understand a lot of that stuff. For example, my friend Fran, who is Irish and lives in England and teaches at Cambridge, has a completely under, different understanding of, of ancient literature than I do. Plus, she has the input of the Irish heritage versus the Brits. Plus, yeah. she's having, you know, some input into being a protest, you know, organizer for years and years and years and years. You know, so she's got all these different factors and they all come together in her writing. And sometimes it comes across like it's a, you know, story about a sheep next to a, a creek, you know. And, and unless you know, you, you don't get that, you know. And so, and I was, I was kind of hearing that from you in that it's like with her, I have to pick up a dictionary a lot because she uses words that are just like, I mean, but it's, it's the difference between her, her education in the UK versus what I got in Georgia. Okay. You know, they were teaching me about Little Black Sambo and they were teaching her about the Battle of Hastings and how the Irish people got screwed over in this deal and that deal. You know, it's very, very different. Um, and, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that protest voice that's just a silent built-in voice that's there automatically. And, and you, she has all the historical knowledge but she's tied into it emotionally mm. and it's not even really necessarily present in her persona or in her person but when you hear it you know and that's what i heard in you is this ability to like you're protesting in that piece but you're doing it not silently but in a quiet way that's not going to get you shot <laughs> you know yeah exactly <laughs> god yes no yeah. isn't that awful though but yeah yeah I, it is awful but we do what we have to do because we believe in the words we believe in the truth and we believe in leaving it here for those who will value it later that's right. you know I'm just that's like a testament to the, the times that we're in you know I feel like history books leave out the human side of what's transpired but if you listen like my dad always made me listen to you know the, the protest songs from like the Vietnam era like sure. that is how you fully learn about a history like you listen to the music you absorb the writings of that time period mm -hmm. like you listen to the people you look at the photographs that they've taken i think textbooks don't always right they very rarely give us the whole picture well and and you know i'm of the age where i remember being a little kid sitting indian style in front of my black and white tv movies of soldiers coming home from vietnam every single day by the plane full 
in caskets and getting a body count every day in the news. You know, and showing, you know, satellite images of burning huts in Vietnam and, you know, just horrendous stuff. And I remember sitting there as a kid and thinking, what the hell? Yeah, and you had to watch that as a kid, you know, like, what does that do to your psyche now? Right. Well, and, and then, you know, the war is over and I watch these guys come back and then we feel so guilty all of a sudden in Atlanta where I lived uh, and all over the country, but there was an influx of Vietnamese refugees at that point. That's how a, a lot of the Vietnamese families got here was we brought them here out of guilt you know, and, yeah. and thank God we did, because I love pho and, and, you know, <laughs> their food and the people are the happiest, lovingest people I've ever met in my life. Absolutely. You know, us, but, you know, it was all guilt driven, white, you know, hatred that yeah. drove it all, you know, napalm. Are you kidding me? Do you know what that is? You know, people have definitely forgotten. Yeah, they sure have. And, and and what scares me is now you can sit like it's a video game. You've been playing all your life and you can sit and you can drive drones and go blow up a mosque somewhere on the other side of the world and not ever see any of it, not yeah, have any feelings, not be connected emotionally. You become a weapon of war. And that's so sad. Yeah. The weapons of war that are back haven't been taken care of. Mm -hmm. Why do we put up with this? You know, okay, enough about me. <laughs> I like that book protest. here back about processing all of that. I mean, I like your I like your protest voice is what it boils down to because people will forget. And it's nice that somebody younger than me remembers enough to still speak about it in that voice. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So rock That's up. Important. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna thank my dad for that. Yeah. Honestly. I, yeah. You should. You really should. Uh, I think I owe I owe him that. Absolutely. I think that's a, a noble, noble thing. And well, I you know, enough about that for me, but um I I think that's a noble gesture and and I think we all owe that and the way that we repay that debt is to make sure that the people who are in need today get what they need. Uh, yeah. You know, you can piss 800 billion for new weapons. Why can't you give medical care to the guys who went and fought 30 years ago? Yeah, I would like that question answered. You know, you by our government. It is what yeah. you promised them when you sent them to go get shot at, you know. So. No, in, in the vein of... Um wars and such how about one that i've had to live through and yeah, more yeah more. right more 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 this is just a really light-hearted chapbook i wrote you're not you're not earning a billion dollars for this are you god no i still have to report to work tomorrow um however this poem i did right after uh, the New Yorker article, The Shattered Afghan Dream of Peace. Um, and I also wrote this in um, contingence with the 30 year anniversary of Voyager 1's photograph, The Pale Blue Dot. Mm. This is called Afghanistan. A few letters strung together to make a country, a home, 
a war zone, a curse word on the tongues of babes. Do not say it in front of the faces of your parents who lived through such atrocity broadcast. Blame is where we place our coordinates, latitude and longitude, and the lesser of two or more evils. You see blame turned into blatant disregard as it usually does when the point is long forgotten, when the bombs like symbols in an orchestra orchestrate none other than violence. No poetic retribution for our fallen comrades, just children lost from their parents. A country that yearns for its independence from violent men, from more violent men who use their fists in the name of peace. These avengers are the opposite of savior, of grace, what sense does it make for anyone to die to live in peace when we remain with the rubble and watch the guards with their guns make the mess like a spoiled child who then leaves, denies responsibility, and the rest of us make do with broken toys or try to try to build something instead of abandoning home, think to flee, but who will take the refugee? We cannot always run from things. Who will be here to face the day? Voyager 1 took a photo of our little planet, our pale blue dot in 1990. Each country on it with its man-drawn borders, its love and slaughter, forget to smile for the flash. Yes, ma'am. That one's actually kind of beautiful to me. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. Um, it. I feel hopeful at the end of that, even though, <laughs> it, I mean, even though it's transgressed through a bunch of BS, it's, you feel kind of okay at the end. And I like that. I appreciate that. And that's Good. magic. That's, that's how, I yeah, mean, that's, <laughs> that's magic. the magic poetry, right? Yeah, it really is. And, and it, and you do it very well, my friend, you really do. Thank you so much, Jack. No, yeah. I really do hope that most of the poems I can't just write like a, a fully heavy protesting poem. It, there needs to be, because I'm still searching for it, that light at the end of the tunnel, that little glimmer of hope, you know, keep the, the fire burning on the candle there. Um, so I do feel that most of the poems still end on that slightly hopeful note, like they're within the layers of, you know, strife and violence and chaos. Um, there is there is still that little spark that keeps us going. Well, I, I think that truth is what, what fuels that. And, you know, to take this newer version of your voice and launch it out there and then have part of that hope of it all be ripped or made worse after you've gone through that process leads me to think that the next logical thing to do is to continue in that voice the rest of the story and to continue that story as it continues to develop it doesn't have to impact anything else that you do whatsoever but i think that there's a piece of you that ties into that and vice versa that gives um a view that I almost feel confident with some polish and practice can be developed into a, a weapon in that you always end up with hope. 
that no matter how bad it gets or no matter how good you think it is, there's always hope. And it's not even necessarily for something better, but it's something different. And it usually yeah. requires effort. Yes, <laughs> and it you does. have to do things. You can't whine about it and you can't be moan. And and you, you know, you didn't become a poet by meditating about it one night, no. you know. Um work, you know, necessary. My AA sponsor told me one time many, 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 many years ago. It's like, dude, you want to be a concert pianist? You can't just hang around in a room full of concert pianists and hope it rubs off on you. You got to learn music and practice and do what they do and follow their examples. Like I decided I didn't want to do concert pianists anymore, but (laughs) 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 oh. Can I just say it's too hard? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think it's inspiring, Elise, is really what I'm saying. And I hope that you tap into that voice and grow it um, because I see great things for your future. And um, and it's all fueled by your desire to be better and to leave a positive mark. And I feel that from you. I have from the very first time I read your work. So rock on. Tell us where we're going to find you and what we need to know. And uh, I'll let you go party the streets of wherever you are. <laughs> the streets of Jersey. <laughs> oh, they hell, you're me. in paradise. Right? <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty cool here. <laughs> you just got to go to the shore, man. I know. Yeah. Memorial Day weekend's coming. It's going to be a tight tight sardine can on that shore (laughs) yeah no i'm going nowhere near my shore either (laughs) yeah i'm staying home i think but you guys can find me at um, elisepercella.com you could always send me a message on instagram elise0x all over um yeah i looked at the website today too and i really like the changes and stuff you made Everybody needs to know, go to Lisa's website. You can buy all her books right there. And there's a, there's a substantial increase for everybody who does so. So um, it's the increase comes in karma later. So um, feel free to do that. Um, boost your karma and I'll put links and stuff in the description. Anything else you want to cover before we close it? That's all. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. Thank you so, so good much. Good to see you. All right, you hang tight and I'm going to say goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging with us. We do appreciate you being here and and, uh, tagging along with us as we go down the bunny trail or whatever you want to call it. Um, Like, subscribe, share, buy merch, you know, all that stuff. Um, We love you. God bless you. And most importantly, do subscribe to our YouTube, share it with your friends, get them to subscribe and then put it on autoplay and let it play all day long, every day while you're at work, please. I need the views. That'll be awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. You stay there, Elise. Stop recording. Ah.